Hello and welcome to The Catch. I'm Brett Ludwizak, writer and contributor with FindBet.com, joined today by fellow writer and contributor Tyler Austin. Good to be here, Brett. Uh, you know, since we had so much fun talking baseball last week, we figured let's run it back and do it again, especially before we get our attention all on the Super Bowl. We can get some of this out of the way. Uh, I'd recommend don't forget to follow us on Twitter at FindBet underscore news and on Instagram at FindBet, just one word. Uh, you can go ahead and subscribe to this podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts by searching FindBet. Uh, also, be sure to keep your eyes and ears uh, peeled and uh, up on for everything on FindBet. We have Ariana and Ashmir Prasad. We'll have everything covered heading into Super Bowl Sunday uh, with their show Sunday Slay. Uh, the action around the NBA is also heating up. Uh, some weird stuff in the Lakers Celtics game last night. So you're going to want to turn to Daniel Tran, Sandy Chandock and Henry Curry, uh, who are the hosts of three in the key where they'll keep you informed on everything going on over there. Uh, so let's get into what's been happening in baseball. Some, uh, some big things have gone on. Yeah. I mean, just a little bit of from retired players to current players to people looking in Hall of Fame. So the big, what we're going to start with is this happened a little after we recorded last week. And then sadly it was the passing of Henry Aaron or, oh, well, Hank Aaron, excuse me. Henry <laughs> so, Hank Aaron. Yes, exactly. I, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, he pa um, passed away on January 22nd. In, yeah, 86 in, years old. Yeah. And so he, you know, started his career with the Milwaukee, well, at the time, Milwaukee uh, Braves, and then they Braves, moved, to, yeah. yep, moved to Atlanta. So 22 years in Major League Baseball, one of the most important players that in league history. You know, and, and it's always a shame when, when things like this happen. It's, it's obviously sad you lose a legend from the game. Uh, and, and it's a shame that it happens, and then that's a moment where you can kind of reflect and say, wow, what an amazing – it's an even more amazing career than I imagined because – you know, if he's a retired player and you're just a fan and you just know he has that big record, he has those home runs, that all-time record, uh, you know, he beats Babe Ruth. But you look at it season by season, which is what I kind of had gone through and been doing, and it, it's it's amazing. Truly a career that, that I, I don't think you'll, you'll ever see again in baseball is just, you know, the consistency, right? It's a 20 years of just unbelievable production. Because the, the most amazing thing, and I guess I, I guess I knew this, but you, when you see it again, it blows your mind. Is he had never hit 50 home runs in a season. The most he ever hit was 47 in a year. That blew my that blew my mind. You know. Yeah, and I mean, another another. I was just looking through the through all the accomplishments, and you know, just over 20 years in Major League Baseball, and to be he was actually a 25 time All Star. You know, right, I, right. I, that's insane. Yeah, and and like you said, amazing that he never hit 50 home runs, but for as many home runs as he hit, 755. Also, he's only uh, MVP one time in his career, uh, 1967. Crazy. So, I mean, he was just a steady, consistent force. One guy that the Milwaukee Atlanta franchise could just count on to be there year in and year out. And it, it, just such a, a love person, too, as well. Oh, well, I mean, yeah, 20 straight years with 20 home runs. And the thing that also blew my mind, because I think obviously modern baseball has changed so much where if you're a power hitter, you're not really expected to, uh, you know, it, it's, I guess it's not a downside that you strike out a lot, right? We're moving to that three true outcomes of baseball. It's like home run, strikeout, or walk. And he never struck out more than 100 times in a season. It's amazing. I could So that's, he's also, in a lot of ways, was a contact hitter as well. Uh, not even just a home run hitter. He was more of an all-arounder in that way. Uh, the, the one other thing I saw that was amazing, and it it's, um, was one of those like adjusted advanced stats, which was like his on-base percentage is like it's OP plus. His lowest of his career was 141, which, which means he was 41% uh, better than every other player in the league, and uh, which is crazy. And like, uh, uh, for example... David Ortiz had a career OP plus of 141. So that was his worst year as a hitter was 141. And he was always better than that in every other season. It's, a, it's amazing. He was a, truly a wonder. And I mean, 
league or yeah, he still holds a mark for most runs batted in at 2297 right. i mean that's gonna be a number that nobody's ever gonna get close to just with the way pitching so specialized these days you have all the shifts oh. you know they're bringing relievers every you know once the starter gets out it seems like every other <laughs> well not so much anymore with the three batter rule but you know all the time right lefty righty matchups and there's just so much analytics in the game where it, that's one of the things I sort of wish miss about the older days of baseball where they just let guys play you know yeah. you know yeah. maybe maybe the stats weren't in a pitcher's favor but you know they still had that pride in there where nowadays you know guys know certain guys coming up you know they're getting pulled up on that so I mean you know he's just one of those throwback players and you know just just there every year, you know, even looking at it up until the last few years of his career there were, you know, like 73 is playing 120, 74, 112. But before that, pretty much every year, he was at 150 games or more. So, you know, he's, he's in the lineup every day, you know, where now, you know, you get guys, you know, have rest days or, you know, that, yeah. and, and I mean, it, you know, some of it's to preserve it too. And, but it's just it's just such a different era in there and sort of makes me, you know, especially looking at all these stats, you know, wishing in a way you sort of go back to that. Yeah. I mean, in that same, uh, to that, the same token, he also was a, was a stolen base guy. I mean, he had six seasons with 20 stolen bases and is like, I think uh, he had, he had a season of 30 home runs and 30 stolen bases. I mean, that just doesn't happen with any kind of, I mean, it, it barely happens ever, you know, but I mean, to do, now it would, it, it's so rare to even get guys who are stealing bases who might also be power hitters, right. Or who get on base and in a way, it's just to have that kind of diverse skill set as a player and to still be that good and consistent as a home run hitter. It just doesn't exist anymore. It doesn't exist. And, and, and it, yeah, it's a really from a different era of baseball. I, yeah. It's, it's a, it's a real connection to the past that, uh, that we lost when we, when we lose a guy like that. Yeah. And he was obviously a first ballot hall of famer, which brings us into our next topic. So we are going to talk about the hall of fame voting this week, where the uh, hall of fame committee decided to not inject anybody <laughs> where yeah. it's, you know, you had guys on there like Kurt Schilling, uh, Roger Clemens, Barry Bonds, you know, guys who, should have, yeah, in normal area would have been in no question by now, but with all these steroid allegations of over the years, as well as maybe some, and Kurt Schilling's maybe some personal, personal political beliefs, yep. uh, and the need to share them on uh social media, yep. yeah, it, yeah, so. Uh, now, nobody's going to be joining the Hall of Fame ceremony that had been postponed from you know, uh, July, August in there where they, when they normally run up because of the coronavirus. Um, so, right. I mean, those guys aren't going to be joined by anybody in this year's class. Schilling finished with 71.1% of the vote where you need 75 to get in. Uh, Barry Bonds, 61.8, and Roger Clemens, 61.6. Those are the three closest to being, in, being inducted. Yeah, I mean, uh, I would say Schilling is a, and then Schilling went ahead, and not that he can actually even do this, right? I mean, it's not it's not possible because next year will be his last year on the ballot. He like wrote this open letter saying, "I want to be removed from the ballot." You know, I, I don't want to be on there anymore if this is the way it's come down to. Blah 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 blah. Uh, which I don't think. Again, I don't think they do. That's not how it works. Uh, <laughs> Because you're just on there. You're just, I mean, it's not really his choice or anything. So I, I don't know if they'll honor that request. Uh, I haven't heard anything about whether or not they will. Uh, I would just say it's safe to say his legacy is as tarnished as the sock, the bloody sock at this point. <laughs> okay. I, I remember back to the, back to that. I, I was uh, sick of the bloody sock back then and I still am now. But essentially, essentially Shirley and he, you know, said you can't fire me i quit you know yes exactly but i for me i feel like yeah, what he did on the field yes i i feel like he should be in i mean but i, I also can't get past what what's going on you know since then so i mean i know the committee they're not really supposed to consider that but still 
it, you know, it does have a place for, for me in there where I'm just like, I, you know, I'm not all that upset to not see him get in. So. That's kind of, that's pretty much exactly where I land. I think it's like, you know, right. I'm not rooting for him to get in by any stretch, especially since uh, as a Yankees fan, I don't really, I don't really need to, uh, to bump up his legacy anymore. Uh, but it, you know, it is, it is one of those things where there's the hall of fame and there's the hall of fame museum. And you know, he already has stuff in the hall of fame museum famously again with the sock. So it's, there, there are these weird distinctions they make. And, and obviously that's, that's a weird line to draw, like someone's off the field beliefs. And, you know, I'm sure there's some things that Ty Cobb said that would be pretty objectionable today, but we're not going to remove him from the hall of fame. So mm-hmm. it, it, it's a weird one. It's a weird situation. The, the PED one is really the, the thing to me that I, I think it's just been completely botched by the hall of fame. Yeah. I think they, they either needed to say we're not going to allow these guys in because it's on the record and we have the evidence and it's not worth it for us to, uh, to, to let these guys in and to mean the hall or say they're on the ballot. Don't worry about the PED stuff, you know, vote on them as if they were players in any other era, because the real harm now I think is, and I, and I think for, for me, it, it, it kind of occurred to me, it's like all these guys who you grow up watching, you know, Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, Barry Bonds, who really drove a renewed interest in the sport in the 90s are getting left off the list. And it's like this whole era of baseball is sort of being erased from the history, even though I vividly remember watching the home run tally, you know, the, run, the home run race and watching Barry Bonds hit balls into McCovey Cove. It was part of the reason, one of the things that made me love baseball. Yeah, I mean, even if they wanted to put like a steroid wing, you know, PED wing in there for guys, all right, they're in the Hall of Fame, but just be sort of disclaimer, all right, they might have been using or like that. I'm fine with that because they should, you know, they should still be recognized for what they did. I mean, while they were doing PEDs and everything like that. Yeah. Baseball's still ridiculously hard, you know? Right, right. You you still have to hit a baseball that's going 90 plus miles an hour with movement. (laughs) And and it's not like Barry Bonds was like some, you know, slub before he actually, you know, whenever he started using it, you could tell he he was getting bigger and bigger. But he was a five-tool talent before that. So, I mean, even without what he was, even without that, he probably would end up getting in anyway, just because of what he was doing and just the talent he showed. And same thing with, you know, know, Clemens and Clemens there. And and then if A-Rod, you know, however that goes. But, I mean, still, they were insanely important to the game in that and they still deserve to be recognized maybe just put something on there saying you know this this happened during this era and you know just do what do with it what you want yeah we're willing to accept that that happened and you know let's it's a sport that loves an asterisk right i mean come on like they've, they've used it before and just make it it's sort of uh uh yeah exactly like you say a wing or a, a full a full section that's just this is the this is the PED era asterisk section. There you go. But these guys belong in absolutely. I, they, their talent for the game, whether or not they use PEDs. And then look, I mean, PED use was rampant. It was rampant, and either either to to make yourself bigger and stronger, like a Barry Bonds, uh, whose head balloon three sizes too big, or like someone you know just a just a workaday guy who's like I need to, to heal faster so I can keep playing. You know, these kind of middle class players in baseball we're definitely using it just for uh just for again to bounce back from injuries faster it's it's a part of the game it's a part of the era and i think people the layman who's who watches baseball but maybe isn't obsessed with baseball is left wondering why why isn't barry bonds in the hall of fame that guy's awesome like it, it just leaves more questions than answers at the end of the day and for for me there's a couple like magic numbers too or it's like 200 wins 500 home runs i almost feel like if you if you reach those numbers, you know even with by using PEDs, I still feel like you should be in the Hall of Fame because just to get to those numbers is astonishing, you know. Because yeah. you, you see guys come and go and that, but just to have that longevity and yeah, it, with that, that's just impressive in itself and it, it deserve to be recognized for you know. Yeah, yeah. Those, those, automa- those numbers should be automatic for me, you know, to get. Yeah. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And, and I, I think it also, like you said, those numbers should be automatic. And it, it really comes back to a sort of systemic problem of the hall of fame and its voters and just how 
uh, seriously or, or self-important they are when it comes to this voting. Uh, like, again, I, the fact that Derek Jeter wasn't a unanimous first ballot, there's only been one, like, is, is Mariano Rivera is the only unanimous player in history. It's like, that's insane. That mm-hmm. is truly insane. Like, if, for it, the fact that they've, they've been voting for this for so long and they put so much importance on it and importance on it in their own mind that there are literally people who are like, I've developed my Hall of Fame philosophy. I'm a small hall guy as opposed to a big hall guy is just like, it's bananas. It's been, it should all be to drive interest to the sport at the end of the day. I think you, there's a fine line to walk of not just letting anybody in, right? Like as big of a Yankee fan as I am. And I love the guy's career. Like Nick Swisher was on the ballot this year. He got 0% of the vote. That makes sense to me. Like he's not, I don't, in my mind, Nick Swisher's not a hall of famer, but I'm glad he got on the ballot. But at the end of the day, these guys, you want to drive people's interest back to the sport. You want people to watch the ceremony. You want people to go to the Hall of Fame and see people they recognize who, who are ambassadors of the game, who are stars of the game. And it makes no sense to keep those guys out just because you have this, like, you know, I, I think Tom Verducci did some video with the MLB. I don't know if you saw this. It's like a five-minute highlight reel, but it's just him at the desk. And he's, like, filling out the ballot. And he's, you know, heavy, high, uh, like, heavy is the the burden of voting for the, the hall of fame and it's just the most ridiculous thing i've ever seen yeah and i'm not saying they should want to be like basketball where it seems like the basketball yes. hall of fame you know so many people get in that but maybe something more like football i mean you know while it's tough to get in the football hall of fame i don't i think they have like minimums you know or, you know Every year, there's got to be like at least five people or something in there because I mean, you could probably find five people, you know, each each ballot that would at least be somewhat deserving to go in. I mean, maybe for baseball, you do like three, three like a three so minute. Yeah, especially but, like the advent of analytics has made it easier to go back and say, oh, Tim Raines, that's an impressive career mm-hmm. analytically in a way that we never would have noticed. We'll let him in, right? You can do that now. Yeah. Now, one sort of question that just popped in my head, I'll answer first to give you maybe a little time to think about it. Now, aside from the three that we mentioned at the top, where, you know, Shailene Bonds and Clemens, if you had to say anybody else on this year's ballot who you would want in, you know, just sort of, you know, just personally, you, you know, mine would be Andrew Jones, because I used to I spent a couple summers down in Greenville, South Carolina, because my, my dad lived down there. So I saw him actually in double A. And the game I went to, he hit two home runs there. And later in, the, later in that year, he got called up to the World Series and, you know, became the youngest guy to hit a, home, a homer in the World Series. Or I can't remember exactly what the stat was, but, you know, just broke out into the scene. And, you know, and then just over the years, you know, just his consistency too, gold gloves, you know, maybe he didn't have quite the numbers that you would expect of a normal, you know, normal Hall of Fame guy. But, you know, just just the sort of impact he had being so young bursting out of the scene like that, you know, that was just impressive to me. And maybe I'm a little biased because I saw him in person sort of coming up too, but, you sure, know, sure, sure. but that would be my, that, that would be who I wanted to see and who I think deserves a little more credit than he's getting. I, I love that. Uh, I mean, there's some, there's some interesting answer, uh, you know, interesting people. I, I think, you know, oh, it's tough for the, <laughs> Uh, I, I always like Andy Pettit a lot. Mm-hmm. I know he's kind of tied to some PED stuff, and yep. uh, again, I, but I, I love him. I mean, the best pickoff move ever. Yeah, uh, and always and there in the po- always there in the postseason too. Absolutely, I, you know, I came back to the Yankees for that 2009 run, and just again, a, a longevity of a career, really great career. The other one uh, that comes to mind, and and I'm actually I. I'm trying to think when uh, when he would have been on the ballot or if he's still on the ballot even. It's crazy to me. It's just uh, – I, I Bernie Williams is always one of my absolute ah, yeah. favorite players. Mm-hmm. I love Bernie Williams. I, I mean, a switch-hitting center fielder, you know, defensively awesome, uh, brought so much to the plate, you know, and, and uh, was always – always uh you know kind of hovering in a, not not so much of a power hitter but just brought so much in terms of stolen bases all around her batting average was awesome i mean he you know he was consistently over 300 for the the prime of his career i i, I love bernie williams so i mean that's a very biased again in the, and if, if you saw him growing up i, I would say these the same thing you saw him in person I, I these were the guys who i just i fell in love with watching baseball and so those would be my top two answers right yep. there for sure. Bernie was always clutch and didn't hurt that he played a mean guitar too. 
Absolutely. A classically trained guitarist. Come on. He could do the national anthem at the ceremony. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there, there's some interesting ones still out there, too. I wonder, like, again, like a Jorge Posada. I mean, is there a better catcher in, in his run? Right. I mean, he's just one. I mean, he's just, you know, and, and clutch and, and offensively great and defensively great. So. I don't know. I'm just I'm just standing for all the Yankees right now. Yeah, I, I, I totally understand that. So, well, possibly next year we could see another Yankee join the Hall of Fame there because on the ballot, a couple of big names to figure to be in the mix. As we mentioned a little bit ago, Alex Rodriguez and also sure. David Ortiz. So, you know, Schilling, Bonds, Clemens, they'll still be on the ballot again. So, you know, who knows, maybe the thinking for they the finally, like, changes, group. but, you know, a couple of big names to, that could possibly take some votes away from them. Yeah, I wonder. I think those are both guys. I mean, A-Rod specifically is, was busted during his career, so I can't imagine he's, you know, it'd be interesting to see what he gets in his opening career. I maybe if he brings like if there's like a stipulation that J Lo was involved because I, I can I can only that's the only thing that's helped his reputation post playing baseball because I think people don't like him as like a Sunday night baseball commentator uh, people don't like but when anyone mentions J Lo they're just like well you know A Rod's okay he's not that bad uh, and then Ortiz has the same thing he is kind of tied to it as well so I don't know how what what people where people will vote on that but obviously guy was such a huge impact on the game so beloved in Boston and it's interesting. It's it's almost like the different sides of the coin where, you know, you see Bonds and how prickly he was with the media, where Ortiz could get in just because the media loves him. You know, that's that's just how how you get that sometimes in there. Now, are you going to tell me that David Ortiz is more deserving of being in the Hall of Fame than Barry Bonds, you know, just because he was nice? I don't buy that. I don't buy that. Yeah. You know? I mean, he had, a, you know, he had a fine career, but then, you know, even when Bonds was, you know, in his days in Pittsburgh, you know, before he started using, you could tell, you know, you know, skinny and, yeah, you know, but he was still, he could still perform where I remember back to Ortiz's time in Minnesota and he was just awful there, you know, and then he yep. found, you know, they found it with Boston, but, you know, it's like, even though he's denied everything and, you know, it's like, all right, really, come on. <laughs> it's, it's pretty ridiculous. Oh yeah. I mean, Bonds was, uh, did, did he win? He won multiple MVPs when he was with the Pirates, right? I mean, he yeah, was already, yeah. Some, yeah. Some, I know he at least won one, and you know, and then I, I remember back to like when the Braves and the Pirates were playing in the playoffs, I think it was like '92 or something like that, you know, around that time. And you know, he was a star then, and you know, it just even more so as the years went on where Ortiz, he was, you know, I remember back to when he was with Minnesota, and he was almost like sort of an afterthought on that. And, then he fight, you know, and he goes to Boston, changes scenery, you know, things things change pretty quickly on that. Change changes something there. Uh, again, uh, we, we don't know what. I guess it, and it, well, uh, the, I'll use this as a quick moment to shout out like my favorite piece of content from last year, which was uh, the history of the Seattle Mariners. Did you watch this documentary? Um, no, I, I saw I saw there was one like um, with another company. It was like. Some dork, you know, Dorktown or something. Maybe I'm thinking it's very, yeah. I think it's a Dorktown. Yep. Um, yes, yeah, it is Dorktown. Mm -hmm. They they mentioned how he was also, uh, which is a fast, I, unbelievable. I recommend it to everybody. It's my like my favorite thing I watched last year. Uh, he was also in the Seattle farm team. That's where he started. He gets traded to Minnesota, but he was in the Seattle farm team with like uh, with with a Rod, uh, with all those guys. I mean, they could have also had him in Seattle. Uh, I mean, again, who knows? His career takes all these kind of twisty turns, and he ends up in Boston, and that's where he becomes a star. But and he was there. They they said they had played like some pickup game where he was just hitting balls over the freeway, and they're like, "Oh my god, this guy's amazing!" And uh, and you know, he he could have he could have been part of that like kind of run there, the early '90s run of Seattle with Ken Griffey and A Rod and Edgar Martinez, it's and Randy Johnson. It would have been pretty amazing. So. Uh, just that, uh, beside the point, but it's just an interesting David Ortiz thing that I had learned at some point. Yeah. So, so yeah, now, now we will see. We'll have to wait and see. Yep, exactly. Not got another year to wait. So <laughs> we'll see how that goes from there. But now turning our attention to players still active and playing the game. There's been some activity in the last week there. The biggest of which was Nolan 
Arenado is traded to, from the Colorado Rockies to the St. Louis Cardinals. And I'm still trying to wrap my head around what, you know, what Colorado's getting back. I mean, I know they're getting like $50 million, but, you know, it's, yeah, that's about it. I mean, I guess they're just <laughs> selling, selling Arenado. It's like a soccer transfer. Yeah, that's the first thing I thought of where they you pay a transfer fee and then, you know, all right, the player's yours. There he goes. There he goes. I'm not used to the – not used to that in terms of baseball where you know it seems like every big deal there's a couple minor leaguers in there it'd be a, maybe a couple or like even you look you see what just happened in the nfl you know matt stafford for jared goff and you know then the lions got a couple picks too that's that's a normal deal for me where this one it's just like all right here's a bunch of cash now send them our way yeah it's absolutely wild uh so he's uh, i was just hearing uh oh you know so uh I think so. Wait, was it was it the Cardinals who were sending the money or the Rockies? I think the Rockies well, might be sending the money, right? Okay. Is that, how, I'm confused on this. Yeah, I'm I'm sort of confused. I know like some of the some of his contract was deferred, so <laughs> I guess oh, maybe. Okay. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly what that you know how that entails. So I guess I don't think the trades actually official yet official. but you know as long as right. as long as you don't like somehow fail the physical which you know <laughs> they'll find a way That'll to never happen yeah exactly yeah, of course. so yeah. I, I guess once it's official we'll have a little better idea on what maybe the rockies could be getting in return but as of now it just sort of looks like the <laughs> the cardinals are yeah. just you know just essentially just police the rockies Paying for that it. you know they oh, just totally yeah yeah <laughs> so, and i mean for it seemed like nobody in the NL Central was really doing anything during this offseason um, so far, where this is really the first major move, which, you know, it sort of had been looking like St. Louis would be, you know, sort of just in that middle of the pack, I guess, you know, where maybe age was catching up to them a little bit, even though they made the playoffs last year. But, you know, now this sort of puts them back, you know, you got to talk about them to win the win the division there. That it's it's a, a huge move for them um, because that like as you were saying that the, the the central had done nothing. I think I had saw like the Toronto Blue Jays alone had spent more money than the entire division, or uh, for for free agency, which is kind of wild. I mean, it's just a one of those one of those divisions. It, it really feels like the holdover from old baseball, right? All those kind of classic franchises that are just like we're going to run our team out there and we're not going to pay them a lot. And we're not making big splashy moves. They're homegrown guys. And uh, you know, they've, they've gone ahead and they've, they, the Cardinals consistently have made these, you know, are, are the team out there that seem to be willing to make these types of moves. They've, they've pulled both Paul Goldschmidt and Arenado out of the West. Uh, Cause you know, that, that division needed to be easier for the two teams at the top. Um, but it's, it's interesting. I think he's going to be, you know, it's, it's, it's tough, right? Because you look at the Rockies and you, you know, you want every team to be competitive and have their players and, and, you know, uh, be able to kind of break through. But I had no idea who DJ LeMahieu was until he started playing the Yankees. I went back and looked and was like, wow, this guy's had a great career in Colorado. I hope he's good in the, in New York. Boom. He puts up very similar numbers. I mean, he puts up DJ LeMahieu type years and all of a sudden he's an MVP voting because he's a Yankee. And I wonder if that will be kind of the same thing for Renato where all of a sudden, I mean, everyone always admitted he's great, loves him, thinks he's an amazing player, but it's like, now that he's on the Cardinals, he's on one of these storied franchises, his sort of profile and uh, I guess his legacy or whatever is just elevated to a whole other level because now he's on a premier franchise who has a history and is has this, such a dedicated fan base. So I think it's only going to be great for him. Yeah, I know my I know my uncle's really excited about this because he's he's a big Cardinals fan. So, um, like you said, they already had Paul Goldschmidt, and this just gives them some protection in the lineup. There, you know, now they can't work around him because you try and do that, and then you have Arenado right behind him there. And oh, you know, yeah. even behind that, you know, one of the best prospects in America, you know, uh, Dylan Carlson too, as well. You know, one of those young right. players who, you know, give him a give him another power power bat right in front of him. You know who who knows what he could do, what he could turn into. So the biggest question for the Cardinals is going to be, you know, just how, in terms of pitching, you know, they have, they got Jack Flaherty, but Adam Wainwright's getting up there at age, Carlos Martinez, yeah. he's, had some, he's had some injury issues. And, you know, so if maybe they could get another arm, you know, they could solidify their position as like a favorite in the NL Central. Um, it, 
still they're going to have a good shot and you know even if they don't just because Cincinnati seems to be rebuilding they're not bringing back Bauer um who knows yeah. what the Cubs are doing you know they they did bring in Jack they seem to be in a tear down like they might trade uh Brian away you know we don't even know and that could be next yep and then obviously the Pirates you know they're just continuously selling selling pieces in there so um and then the Brewers, who knows what the Brewers are going to do. I mean, you, know, you have Yelich, but he's coming off a down year. And, you know, so that division wide open and, you know, St. Louis is making their move to it. Yeah, absolutely. So what, one quick thing I'm just going to say, uh, this is from Jeff Passan. Uh, we should not feel bad for not understanding how exactly how this trade works because he literally said uh, when it gets done eventually, it will be among the most complicated ever in the history of baseball the wave and regain of a no trade clause, the $50 million moving, the deferrals, the additional opt-out approval from MLB and MLPA, and also an extra year at 15 million at the end of the contract. So it's, it's like, I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's harder than calculus. Uh, let's put it like that. Yeah. I mean, it's going to make, you know, you just saw the James Harden trade a few weeks ago and you know, that's gonna That's going to be, that's going to look like nothing compared to what this, what the Arenado trades going to sound like because you know there's so many pieces in that one and you know right the, the, you know and that didn't even really involve money it was more just players and picks than that but yeah the, you know but it, who knows we'll have to see how Arenado does now that he doesn't have the you know Coors Field there but I'm sure you know he'll find his stroke there in St. Louis so Absolutely. now a couple moves that I know both you and I we were um we saw there in terms of being Yankees fans um start with Adam Adovino he was traded Boston and for a player to be named later <laughs> my favorite all the time uh love this, it. Is the, this is the first trade between the two teams since 2014 so um you know I was sort of surprised when I saw this you know but then again after Adovino wasn't all that great last year, so I'm not surprised that the Yankees sort of moved on. You know, when he came in, you know, it, it, one of the best relievers in baseball there, you know, really shut down opponents. But seems like he you know, has been struggling a little bit in there. So maybe a change of scenery will help him. I just wish it was somewhere else in Boston. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I hate to, hate to trade someone to, uh, to a rival ever, someone in the division ever. And then it's like, oh, the most bitter rival, and you're going to see him a bunch of times next year. Yeah, I mean, he, he definitely had a down year last year, and he, he kind of sputtered out two years ago, like the end, of the, the, the end of the season into the playoffs. I think he's one of those guys, he's really in his head. You know, he's a really cerebral guy, and it's, it just doesn't seem like it takes a lot to uh, knock those guys over or, or, you know, they lose a little something. And one of the things I think that really killed him, right, is he was great against righties, but with uh, the, the three the three batter rule and uh, the way that lineups are built, you know, that you could build a lineup these days, it made it really hard for him to come in and face lefties. Uh, his stuff just doesn't play as well against them. And, and honestly, I, I, you look at his, his his the movement on his on his pitches, unreal. <laughs> but they kind of if if you can if you're gutsy enough to wait it out and not swing at it, which I think a lot of guys started to. They, they're not really called for strikes all that often. I think he, his stuff moves so much, it moves out of the zone. And even if it, even if it grazes the plate, sometimes it just doesn't look as good. And if, if Gary Sanchez is catching you and he doesn't, and, he, and his framing wasn't up to par, you get a lot of pitches that are borderline that end up being balls. And then that puts you in a lot of tough counts. And then, you know, if you're one of those guys who says, Oh, I'm in a tough count and that should have been a strike. I'm screwed. I got to go in and do that. You know, it just kind of kills your momentum and, I think he'll be really good next year. I think he will. I think he, he can definitely bounce back in a way. And uh, I, I, you know, I loved him. I thought he was great. He, he had a really funny take on it, which is just that, you know, cause he's also, he was a Yankee fan, grew up in Brooklyn, big Yankee fan, lives in New York in the off season. And uh, he, he basically just like, well, I guess I'm a trivia answer now. I'm the last guy traded from the Yankees to the Red Sox. <laughs> yeah. Even though, even though we go to, you know, the big Boston market there, it's, you know, so he's familiar with that from playing in New York City. Um, what will maybe a little less pressure on him because the Red Sox don't really figure to be in the mix quite as much in the AL East. So, you know, maybe, you know, the re relief of some of that might help him regain his form a little bit there. So 
Then again, he'll also know the scouting reports when he faces the Yankees. <laughs> He's got a little right, right. insider info. So, <laughs> so Absolutely. We'll have to see how that goes and you know, how the Yankees and, um, you know, how the it's, season it's, two. It's an interesting rate, uh, trade in another way, too, which is just that it, it's kind of atypical for the Yankees to ever want to have to do, like, a salary dump. Mm-hmm. And that was totally the case. I mean, they just needed $9 million off the books. They were dead set on staying under the luxury tax this year. And uh, so that was kind of weird. It's just you don't see that every every day where it's like, oh, we're going to send one of our guys and a prospect that, that we like to you guys for, again, player to be named later. So we just dumped him. And uh, and then picked up. Uh, I really liked O'Day, uh, the, the yep. kind of sidearmy, you know, submarine interesting, you know, pitcher. He'd been in uh, in Atlanta and in Baltimore for a long time, which is kind of something we talked about last week, which is with the Yankees bullpen is bringing in guys who offer different looks. And I think O'Day does that in a big way. Yeah, and anybody listening is probably going to get sick because it seems like all we're talking about is the Yankees, but they do move the needle. Huh. So, um, the Yankees did make another move and sort of touch on something that we talked about last week as well, where we're talking about their starting pitching. Um, they made a move to bring in Jamison Tyon from Pittsburgh to, you know, compete for a spot in the rotation there. So now he joins um, his old teammate, Garrett Cole from um, down there. And, also, Corey Kluber, who the Yankees signed. So it gives him a young arm um, back before his in, uh, injury issues. Like t- 2018, he was 14 and 10 for the for the Pirates, you know, 320 ERA, a couple complete games, uh, struck out 179 guys and just over 190 innings. So, I mean, very, you know, if he gets gets back that form before his injury, you know, a very solid pitcher who, you know, you could you know, be a good compliment to, you know, Cole Kluber and whoever, whoever else they might you know, be thrown out there in the rotation. Definitely. He, he definitely adds to, uh, and I think we talked about this narrative last week of just like the uh, super high risk, uh, hopefully high reward uh, staff that the Yankees seem to be putting together, which is just like, again, guys coming off of injuries, guys who haven't played in a year, uh, you know, kind of wily vets who again, also he pitched one inning last year. So, like, he's an interesting guy. He's the, had the two TJs, which is tough, but had a great year in 2018. And he was a first-round talent, right? I mean, he, he is he is a, a big-time talent. Uh, and I think I also heard he kind of shortened up his arm motion, which is something he'd been working on in the offseason, which he feels like gives him a more comfortable release. Hopefully should avoid an injury history. And, and he's, like, been working on kind of the pitches he's going to bring in. It sounds like a lot of, you know, four-seamers up in the zone, and he has a good break. Uh, nice breaking ball. So and I, I think he'll be a really interesting addition if he stays healthy and he kind of even scratches the surface of the talent that he had in, in Pittsburgh and the talent that he definitely seems to have. Uh, with Hopefully with some Yankee run support, he should be a great addition. Yeah, I mean, you know, still young arm, got got a lot of life left in that. So be interesting to see uh, if he's able to come back. And if so, then the Yankees got a steal because really, really all they gave up was some minor leaguers in there. Um, you know, nobody that I really was like, oh, I'm, I, uh, oh no, the Yankees got rid of rid of him. You know, nothing like that. So I mean, yeah. you know, sort of. You were like, a, a dedicated Ronzi Contreras fan. Uh, I, I've been following Ronzi my whole life. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's sort of, you know, for me, it's sort of low risk, possibly high reward in there. So definitely. definitely now yeah. going, going over to Queens, um, the Mets pulled off a trade there, uh, trading Stephen Matz to Toronto for Sean Reed Foley and a couple of other guys there. Um, so Toronto, you know, trying to get another piece in their rotation there. They've been adding, adding some bats and trying to get some pitching behind that. Um, so that's going to, you know, going to be contenders in the at least there to challenge the Yankees so you know just got got a little bit stronger there with with Matt's granted if he's he's had some own injury issues himself that he has to try and you know recover from there but you know he was part of that hype Mets rotation that didn't really totally pan out you know it's he's he's an interesting yeah um but yeah yeah, yeah. the um you know, and that's like some of this, you know, it's just as soon as the Mets, they had the, they had the issues with their you know, general manager that they fired you know, a couple of weeks ago. And now Steve Cohen, you know, the whole GameStop thing, you wonder how much that's factored into what the Mets are doing. 
what moves they're trying to make. Yeah, I mean, he gets he gets bullied off of Twitter uh, over some some weird short selling GameStop situation, and uh, you know, next thing they do, they pull a trade. And I love the idea that 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 is uh, it's really funny to me. I just I you know now they're they it sounds like they're still in the hunt for Bauer in a big way, uh, and like that's going to be something that they're 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 pushing towards. They're definitely one of the contenders there, but just. You know, your 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 owner just gave up two billion dollars to uh, keep some other hedge fund afloat. You know, how willing are you to start throwing money around? Uh, it's interesting. Uh, we'll see. Matt's is uh, one of those guys. It, it just yeah, exactly. It never seemed like he put it all together. Uh, I've definitely had him on some fantasy teams and have been consistently disappointed. He's always out there on the waiver wire. You could pick up Stephen Matt's any time of year, any day. Uh, he's available. So I, again, I think that's someone who. Yeah, and it, it's totally the most Mets thing possible that you went, <laughs> that, um, you know, with the whole Steve Cohen, you know, GameStop type thing, you know, it's like, just when you start gaining traction as a franchise, then, you know, all of a sudden this happens, and it might, it might affect how you do business, who knows, you know, you go from one one owner and Ponzi schemes and now you have uh, now you have GameStop and hedge funds. So it, the Mets do, and they, it's never easy for them. No, never. It's, it's, I think the, the hardest, one of the hardest franchises to root for consistently. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I knew my grandparents, they were Mets fans when they lived back in Western New York there. And I think now, now that my grandma lives down in Florida, she, could see the Rays more, so she'd be, be more of that. But yeah, it was always they were they weren't very happy very often when it came to baseball, even even in the early, you know in the nineties there. So uh, at least they at least they saw the light and you <laughs> realized okay we can do better. So, so a couple other now those were the major trades that happened, and now we have. Um, we also did have some free agent signings or re-signings. So the biggest, biggest of those, Philadelphia, they brought back a couple of key players from um, a couple of their key free agents, uh, not only signing JT Realmuto to um, their catcher, as well as Didi Gregorius, uh, bringing him back as well. So um, got a couple, you know, not only the best catcher in baseball pretty much um you know a very very solid veteran and gregorius there to you know give you some pop in the pop in the middle infield i, I think it's you know it, it always made sense for that to be where those guys end up uh you know dd's market was kind of tough after a 60 game season he tried to do a one-year approval deal and you know just kind of got worked over by the uh, circumstances and then Ramuto was tough a lot of places the, the options sort of dried up for him a lot of places went with uh, the next tier of catcher and at the end of the day, which is going to make sense for them to both end up there. So it's good. It makes the NL East a little more interesting, hopefully. Uh, you know, Didi's going to be a huge – he's just always an asset when it comes to defense in the middle there. He's, you know, so so sound. And a uh, good lefty bat, you know, a good lefty bat to have. So uh, hopefully those guys and Harper, they can kind of figure out a, a way to, to stay competitive in the East. It shouldn't be too tough to at least be, uh, to be in the hunt. Yeah, I mean, with the with the Phillies, they got a really tough lineup now for opponents to have to deal with there. Not only with uh, Bryce Harper, but with those two back. Uh, now the question about them is going to be, you know, in terms, do they have enough pitching to be able to get them, you know, right up the, on that level with the Braves there? Um, so still questions on that, but yeah, team, yeah. yeah. no, no, yeah. I was gonna say is, is a great frontline starter ace type guy, but I mean after that it's kind of tough. Yeah, and so, but just you know, just makes the analyst to you know if they can get everything together, you know that's gonna be that's gonna be a wild finish. Not only with the you, know, you got to figure the Nationals will bounce back a little bit there too, and then you know the Mets are trying. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, that's gonna be yeah quite uh, definitely a division to keep an eye on there. Um, another yep. move that happened. Yeah was um, Toronto got another bat with Marcus Simeon there. Um, so they, they get a, not only add to their lineup featuring Bo Bichette, Guerrero Jr., Guriel, all those, uh, but they, same thing with sort of like how Gregorius is. They got a veteran in the middle infield there. So, you know, just, it's going to be going to make it tougher for everybody else in the AL East and just anybody that the Blue Jays got to play. 
Yeah, I mean, Simeon is a, is a stud. I mean, he was an uh, awesome player for them. And he was uh, he was getting MVP votes two seasons ago. He was, he was finishing the top three. Uh, I mean, he, he really has a lot of uh, a lot of range uh, as a player, and I think he'll be really interesting to them. I mean, exactly that that infield is going to be as stacked as ever. I actually, I, you know, I think I saw that they want to play him mostly at third, and then they can just DH Laddie. Does that seem to be the plan? Yeah, I mean, you know, sort of like musical chairs in a way, I guess you could say, you know, um, not only that, then you also have Rowdy Telez, you know, probably going to be that sort of first base DH type type guy in there. Um, so probably just really depends on, you know, the pitching going on in there. Uh, but yeah, definitely. Or even, you know, bring bring a guy like Telez off the bench in, in the you know, later in the innings there. So, I mean, that's going to be a tough out for anybody, you know, with the, with the power that he, that he can. Um, yeah. He's got a lot of pop, a lot of pop from Rowdy. Uh, yeah. So, that's, I mean, that's going to be a great move. My, my favorite thing that came out of the, the Simeon move was the, the leak of what the Oakland contract offer was for him, uh, which had been a, uh, was a one year, $12 million deal. And then the idea was they were going to have deferred payments for the next 10 years of $1 million a year. Uh, I, I, you know, the A's are always trying something uh, to, to work around their, their, uh, their limitations financially. And that, that's one of the most creative offers I've ever heard. I can't think of another one like that. Because usually you, when you're like Bobby Bonilla or something, right, it's like you're, you're cut. And then they like defer your payments out over the next 30 years. It's not, it's not like built into the original offer that, that hey, we want to pay you $12 million uh, for one season and then you'll be a free agent again, but then you'll still be getting a million dollars from us for the next decade. Yeah. And I mean, also, nobody, nobody's going to confuse Marcus Simeon and Bobby Bonilla either. Just, in, I mean, Simeon's a fine player, but Bobby Bonilla is prime there. That's a, that's a whole little different story. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's back to the A's and Moneyball and yeah, they're, they're trying to find creative ways, but that's yeah, not, that's not going to get it done. You know, more, more and more, you know, you're just going to keep seeing this. They got to, they got to change something a little bit. You hope so. I mean, that's I have the, the the kind of sentiments I've seen expressed by all the A's fans I've seen on Twitter that I know are just this is kind of a real bummer because it signals that the next crew behind Simeon, the next kind of batch of guys who are going to be up for free agency, your your uh, Matt Chapman, your Matt Olsons, uh are not going to be getting the kind of offers that are going to keep the superstar around, which is really disappointing because you know you got to love these homegrown guys and then. Uh, if your team's not willing to chill out for them when they've kind of reached their free agency peak and when they can really start making big money, that's going to be, that's going to be a bummer. You're just going to have to kind of say goodbye. So uh, hopefully it's, hopefully they can work something out with some of those guys, keep Chapman around because he's obviously, uh, uh, you know, a stud at third base, but it seems like they won't be, they won't be uh, making those types of offers. So in terms of another middle infielder in the American league, uh, we had Minnesota signed Anderson Simmons from Anaheim. So, I mean, not a, not a huge move, but in terms of Minnesota, who's, they have a lot of power in the lineup, you know, it could be, a, could be a big difference there in the NL, or excuse me, the AL Central. Um, I mean, they just, same thing, that sort of veteran guy, you know, Minnesota does have some, some young hitters in there. So, you know, he can bring that sort of veteran leadership to the clubhouse and, you know, Right now, it's Minnesota, Minnesota, and the White Sox in the AL Central look like the two teams that are going to be battling it out there. So, I mean, you get you get a guy like that who's probably going to be thirsty for a little bit of postseason success after, you know, Anaheim's been there maybe a couple times since he's been been there, but really hasn't. I don't even think they've won a game. So, you know, because Trout has never played in the play in the postseason, right? I thought he played a couple a few years ago when they played like the Red Sox and they got swept. Oh, yes, right, so right. He's never won one. That's right. So he's only been there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. So, so yeah. yeah. I mean, another another bat for them, and now into and, and a great defender. Yep. Yep. So I mean, Minnesota they got they got a lot of power, but you know they could use some of more of those defensive guys too as well. So I mean, that's that's going to be big for them. Um, and then it, 
speaking of a guy who played in Minnesota, just sort of a minor move, I guess. It's same thing. Not really going to move the needle all that much. But Minnesota says goodbye to Eddie, Eddie Rosarios, who's now headed to Cleveland. Um, yeah, not nothing really got to say about that aside from letting you know that <laughs> that yeah. That yeah, uh, an above-average player. Uh, he was one of the guys who was like a, a non-tender. I think that's probably the most notable thing is he was just sort of out on the market because uh, the Twins had said we're not even willing to offer you anything. And uh, and he, you know, I, I think he's an above-average player. I mean, he's got decent uh, power, right? I mean, that's kind of what he was bringing to them. And but I think he's. De- I mean, you look at him. I think defensively is where he's really deficient. So. Yeah. And I mean, he'll get a chance. He'll get a chance to play in Cleveland too, on a team that you know probably not going to be in the contention for it. So, as long as he stays healthy and productive, should at least get plenty of that bad opportunities. Which, you know, even while he's not going to be possibly have enough chance at the playoffs, he'll at least be able to sh- showcase for you know who knows maybe next year or you know however you know, for the his next position if because <laughs> Cleveland you know they're usually not a huge player in free agency so so this is more yeah. seems like a bridge move where you know maybe trying to set up his future a little more yeah makes sense now going moving over to the NL Central um, now one of the moves that the Cubs actually did make instead of getting rid of players they brought in Jack Peterson from the Dodgers and uh, you know Peterson he got his World Series ring with the Dodgers there and. And now he heads over, you know, over the Cubs, and the Cubs actually got a pretty good deal. I mean, only seven million dollars for him, which, you know, in today's baseball, not really all that terrible a contract. No, I mean, Schwarber got ten million to go to the Nationals, and I think Jock Peterson has been consistently more uh, productive and, and at the very least healthy. Uh, so you gotta, you gotta love that. Uh, I mean, selfishly, jealously, uh, I, I kind of didn't like the idea of him as a, a left-handed hitter in the Yankee lineup. Uh, but I, I'm amazed. I'm kind of amazed that, that his market was only, you know, kind of find himself with the Cubs for, for $7 million. Uh, you know, again, a team who kind of fluctuating between are we going to be competing, are we not? You, you would have thought a contender or, or someone who wanted a left-handed power hitter who can, who can play in the field a little bit, could have, could have been a DH if you wanted him in the AL, but – uh, it's interesting. I was surprised to see that we ended up for only that amount of money. Now, the next move we're going to touch on, actually next two moves, a couple guys from the Los Angeles area. One of Peterson's former teammates, Kike Hernandez, uh, heading to Boston, and joining him will be Anaheim starting pitcher Garrett Richards. So, you know, the Red Sox, you know, again, that sort of, you know, rebuilding mode, but you know, they get a guy in Hernandez who can play pretty much anywhere. And Richards, the jury's still out on in terms of him. I mean, one of Anaheim's yeah. pitchers, but that's not really saying saying all that much. But who knows, maybe a change of scenery, you know, heading to the East Coast now, maybe that'll benefit him. Um, you know, maybe a chance to start over and you know, at least it gives Boston another arm in the rotation there to fill that out, and you know, maybe maybe surprises some people. Definitely, definitely. I, there are definitely moves of a team that's like, well, we need to have a full roster here. Uh, we gotta we gotta have players on the team, and and I think Kike is definitely again as as, as far as they go. I mean, as versatile a player you you got. And when he's hot, he hits a lot of home runs and, and uh, you know, can be a kind of a difference maker on offense, but then he can get really cold too. So, uh, but consistently one of the most fun players on the Dodgers was a blast. Uh, loved the Kika stash. Um, so it'll, it'll be interesting seeing him in Boston. I think, you know, kind of perfect move for a team that is, uh, again, in the middle of a rebuild where it's like we want some guys who, who can do a lot and you want to take a chance on a guy who, who maybe hasn't lived up to his potential in the Richards and, and see if we can make something out of them, give them another shot. And then, you know, maybe we found a gem, uh, gem in the rough. Yeah. Just sort of those sort of low risk, high reward type, possibly high reward type moves. So, um, yeah, I mean, could be, could be a guy, hopefully they're not thorns in the Yankee side, but we'll, we'll see how yeah. that goes. So, and then the final move in the free agency that we'll touch on today is Brett hand went to Washington. Now nationals, well, they didn't make the playoffs last year. Um, it, they at least get a guy who could be, you know, right at the in that closer role there. Um, you know, he did have sort of ups and downs in Cleveland, but I mean, same thing. If he gets it gets it back together, you know, he he can be one of the better, uh, more reliable closers. Yeah, I mean, I think it's safe to say the Nationals and their bullpen have, has always been a 
and a Kelly Seal for them. Uh, I, you know, they they were never uh, loaded back there. I mean, poor Sean Doolittle just absolutely collapsed into himself last year like a dying son. Uh, I mean, I hope he gets a shot somewhere. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they, they just never really have had a, a, a true closer or, or even, you know, you know, great kind of above, above average, above replacement bullpen guys. So, I mean, you got to go make a move and, and hand in someone like, like you say, he kind of had some up and down years and you hope he gets to put it all together. But at the very least you can say that's, that's our closer. Uh, we're going to throw him out there in the ninth inning. Yeah. It seems like, it seems like Washington's always a spot where you get the guys who, you know, maybe they find it, but then more, there's more chances that they're just going to be, they're just like a explosion waiting to happen there. You know, it's yeah, a, lot, a lot more ugly history when it comes to their closers as opposed to good history. But I mean, they did find a world series out of it. So it's hard to, hard to sort of fault that, you know, they, they, they got it together when they, when they really needed it the most. Absolutely. Yeah. They, they, they were there uh, in those, I mean, again, those were some high pressure innings uh, against the, against the Astros and, and uh, you know, Scherzer and, and uh, Strasburg could only take them so far. And, and they, they did, they, they plugged the holes when they needed to, but uh, last year they kind of came back down to earth and felt like, so uh, that it'll be interesting. At least, at least now they can say for sure. Cause I think last year they were doing a whole, you know, carousel of closers. And at, at least this year you can say, we got our guy, we're going to throw him out there. Let's hope for the best. So one guy that mentioned his name a little earlier, but one guy we'll have to say goodbye to when it comes to Major League Baseball is Masahiro Tanaka, who decided to head back to Japan, uh, signing with the Tohoku Rakuten Golden Eagles. So I just assume that they're probably sponsored by Rakuten, <laughs> Rakuten which Rakuten. those commercials. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and all over. So, yeah, it's sad to see him go. I mean, it's a lot of Yankee memories with him. But, I mean, it, I guess maybe after the uh, – either the trade for Tyon, um, you know, filled that hole or he realized once they traded for him that they, <laughs> he wasn't really needed in New York anymore. So, decides to go back to Japan, which, you know, he's still only 32 years old. Who knows how it goes over back over there. But got to be at least a little bit of weight off his shoulders to return to his home country and, you know, be able to finish up his career where probably he's most comfortable. Yeah, absolutely. I, I absolutely a beloved Yankee. I mean, I think one of the guys who over this last kind of run here, everybody could agree on. And I, and I mean that even with like, you know, Judge and Sam and all the big, you know, Sanchez, these are guys who, you know, people can get on board and really love them. And, and then there are times where, you know, obviously people are not judge for his injury history or Stanton's defense and our Stanton's defense and Stanton's injury history. I mean, the list is long, right? But but everyone can kind of agree on the fact that we we love Mashiro Tanaka. He was he was a stud on this team. He was our opening day starter multiple times. And um, I mean, I think it, it'll be interesting. It's good for him to go back to Japan. I think that's, he, it sounds like he had other offers to stay in America. Like the Blue Jays had pursued him. Uh, I remember seeing that out there, and it sounds like a couple of the teams had probably offered him more uh, than what he was going to get back in Japan. And he just made the, the, the choice for himself that it wasn't New York, it would be his home country. And uh, I hold that hope that maybe one day he returns uh, to, to the Yankees, maybe after a, a couple of years back in, uh, back in uh, Japan. Yeah, I mean, you know, with that, he's probably made enough money over here, too, as well. It's like, well, money's really not a concern, so might as well just be able to finish, you know, finish things up, you know, where, where you started your career, too, you know. Yeah. You know so, <laughs> I, I guess I guess it's one of those things where if the Yankees couldn't bring him back, I'm glad that nobody in Major League Baseball <laughs> did. So, I guess I'm talking it would have been crushing. It would have been crushing to see him in another uniform. Absolutely, yeah. I'd have to face him in, in, in when he if he was a Blue Jay. So yeah, I feel better about that. Yeah. That'd be that'd be really weird. <laughs> so now there has been a little bit of news coming out on what the Major League Baseball season's gonna look like now. Now the union's still gonna be deliberating on this. So I mean, it's not set in stone, but it sounds promising. So. Um, what has been reported is baseball's proposed starting the season a month later, 154 games with full pay. So only eight games off a regular 162 game season. Uh, DH in the National League, 14 
in a 14-team playoff, and the season would end in November. So with starting a month later, and then you're going to have a little little later finish to the season. But from what it sounds like, you know, if, if they go this route, I really like what the season would look like look like here. So um, in terms of length, I could, you know, either way, that's fine. I mean, even if you played 100 games, at least we still have baseball. So, but I mean, I really like the uh, DH in the National League because as we talked about last year or last week, I don't really care to see pitchers hitting anymore. And in the 14 team playoff, it sounds right um, to me because last year with 16 seemed a little too much. I mean, I loved having this four, you know, best of three series on each, in, in each league, but, you know, just sort of watered down a little bit, maybe 14 is still a little too much, but I mean, I'm, I'll take more baseball. You know, So that, that's my thought of it. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that, that is the, that, that for now, that's, that feels like a good number. That's like, you know, and obviously we'll see how it runs. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's great. 154 uh, with full pay too, which is great. So they would, they would honor the full time. They're not going to prorate it for eight games, which, you know, you could never put past the owners to try to do. Uh, <laughs> so I, I think that's, that's a great move. Um, it makes sense. It makes a lot of sense for everybody to, to push back a month and hopefully a lot of things sort of, um, at least come down. Uh, I know obviously it was, it was Arizona that was really asking for the, the delay um, due to the way things were going there with COVID. And, and I think it's a, a great choice to, to, to let that happen. And it's good to get this hammered out now. I mean, it's one of the tough things of, of the position that baseball was in last year where it kind of happened. Things started to really get to a fever pitch, uh, pardon, pardon the pun, uh, we, like right at the end of spring training when all these guys had been ramping up and ramping up and ramping up and then they had to shut it down and then ramp up in a hurry again and then we saw a bunch of pitcher injuries which were you know really unfortunate for a lot of really great players I mean you know uh Canely um not that I like this guy but Robert, uh, Asuna and, and uh, Houston I mean a ton a ton of pitcher injuries and you know hopefully doing this and and being proactive about it prevents a lot of that stuff and makes it a lot safer for a lot of guys and makes it a lot uh, easier for them to get, again, get built up, get ramped up and, and ready to go for the season and, and be in the best shape when the season actually starts. Yeah. And I, I'm sure there's a lot of teams around baseball who are not going to be too mad about not having to go to like Cleveland or Chicago or, you know, even, even New York or Boston and early, early to mid April, where you, you still have some of that, you possibly see some snow or, you know, high, high temperatures during the games. It's like 35 and there's wind in Chicago coming off the lake. You know, I'm, I'm sure players, they're fine with, you know, maybe getting a little extra, a little extra rest there and not having to deal with all those conditions. May's May's beautiful. Let it be May. <laughs> that will be a nice time here for everybody officially. No, no more like late winter cold snaps to, to play through. Yeah, I think it would be uh, exactly. There should be no complaints about that for sure. Uh, yeah, and I mean, with that, May May sounds good to me because at least with you know around April, you still have some of the NCAA tournament, the Masters. Yeah, you, know, you have sort of the well, not so much this year, but like NHL and NBA seasons, regular seasons wrapping up where this year they might get pushed a little farther back to like May. But, you know, in a normal year, you know, you, even the start of baseball sort of seemed to get lost a little bit with me just because of everything else going on, where now you still have some of those baseball and hockey playoffs, but, you know, it's a little more, you're like, okay, you're getting closer to summer, you're getting closer to the base, you know, getting closer to baseball in there. So, I mean, it feels, it feels a little more right to me than April, you know, while traditionalists will probably love, you know, oh, you got to have baseball in April, you know, I'm like, whatever, you know, just push it back, push it back a little bit, get a little better weather once, you know, again, in a normal year, you know, fans would probably be a little more prone to go to games in May instead of aside from openers, you know, like, you know, April, a lot of times you can see some spotty attendance in there. Um, it's going to be a little different this year, but you know, if it's something they do going forward, you know, that that's going to benefit the fans too. And not having to like bundle up in eight layers to just go watch some Cubs pirates game or something like that. Yeah. And the second week of the season, we are like, Oh, these teams aren't even going to look like this by the end of the season. You know, who, who are these guys? 
Uh, totally. I think it's going to be a, a good move for everybody, uh, just given the circumstances. And like you said, I mean, right, I think it was a few years ago, like right after the Super Bowl ended, the MLB like had this whole big push that it's like, you know, now it's our turn. Baseball, pitchers and catchers reporting in two weeks. And it was this whole thing. It was just like, it feels like you're jumping the gun a little bit. Like there's already regular season. Again, like there's regular season basketball going. There's hockey going. We got March Madness coming up. It's like, it really isn't your turn until, again, about uh, the end of May, June, July, when when the common fan, again, if you want to say that common fan, the, the fan who kind of checks in and out is like, that's when a fan like that is really going to start tuning in. It's like, okay, you know, the yeah. playoffs are ending. I'm getting into the season now. Yeah, the way the way that I go with it, usually it's like, all right, you have the end of football, and then my attention shifts to college basketball to get ready for March Madness. And then once you got March Madness there, then you have, you know, you have your – baseball or NBA and NHL playoffs and you know while you know you're there with the fantasy baseball drafts in like March and of course you know the season openers are all right new baseball season but then you know after the season openers go it's like all right then I'll forget (laughs) I'll just have too much else to you know keep track of where you know wait for those sort of calm down before you know get sort of jumping into baseball a lot you know a lot more than you know once those things are sort of wrapped up. Yeah, it's hard to be in on a day-to-day basis after that. And as an opening day is great. I mean, that is always great. I mean, no matter when it is, it's always going to be a lot of fun. It's always going to be great. I remember two years ago, uh, I had a guy gotten the day off and could just kind of bounce from game to game to game. And there was an amazing, like, Lorenzo Kane walk-off uh, catch in center field, the leap and grab in center field to end the game. And it was just amazing to be able to go through and watch all those moments. And it's like, so that's always going to be fun, no matter what. It's like, there's an April, May, even sometimes the end of March, it's like, it's going to be a good time to have baseball back. And then, you know, once you really want to get back into it over the summer, the, the kind of baseball, the, the true baseball time is that like summer run there. It's, it's, it's when you get back involved on a day-to-day basis. And, and that's a lot of fun. Yeah, so still still started the baseball a couple months away, but I'm sure that and we pretty much covered all what's been going on over the last week of baseball. So I can't think of anything else that, that we need to touch on before before leaving here today. Um, anything come to mind to you, or you think we covered it all? Yeah, I, I think we I think we pretty much covered it all. That feels good to me. Uh, you know, hopefully there'll, there'll be a few more moves here. A few more guys will arm up to sign, and uh, and then you know if this proposal gets passed, we'll. Uh, We'll have a real, uh, we'll have a real date to, to start looking forward to. Yeah, and like you were talking about, you know, talking about last week, you know, hopefully put something together for in terms of fantasy, fantasy baseball. Um, you know, maybe a little preview show, rankings, and players to watch, something like that. So that's definitely something to keep keep an eye out, or I should say, since we're on the catch here, keep an ear out for. Um, <laughs> so we can actually, you know, we'll get the, you know. Help you help you feel the best lineup possible in there. So yeah, let's let's roll some uh, some rankings out and uh, exactly some maybe some sleepers and uh, overrateds, all, all the fun stuff when it comes to, to to fantasy baseball and fantasy in general. So yeah, that sounds great. We'll have to get uh, we'll get moving on that. Yeah, well, it was great spending the hour or so with you here. Um, but that is all the time we have for this week. I want to thank you for joining us. You can su- subscribe to this podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts by searching Find Bet. You can go to findbet.com to check out all our newest content this week. We can find everything you need to know about the Super Bowl, which happens next Sunday between the Chiefs and Tampa down in Tampa Bay. And as well as any news that breaks around the world of sports, remember to follow us at on Twitter at findbet underscore news and on Instagram at findbet, just one word. Um, so that way you'll know when all, all our new content hits hits findbet.com so tyler thanks for joining thanks for joining me today and we will talk to you here again soon and everybody else thanks for joining us on the catch